0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. This week, we are welcoming back clinical psychologist and sleep specialist, Dr. Shelby Harris. Dr. Shelby is the author of The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia, and we have brought her on the show to talk all things mom-centered sleep. In part one, we unpacked what insomnia is, and what causes it, really gaining an understanding of the things that impact our sleep. And in today's episode, part two, we are tackling all of the strategies and tools that you can use to create a sleep hygiene routine that sets you up for better sleep and helps to break the patterns we engage in that prolongs our insomnia and sleep issues. We touch on treatments for sleep, medications, natural remedies, all kinds of hot topics. So if you have ever laid in bed, staring at the ceiling with all kinds of racing thoughts or worries, these episodes with Dr. Shelby are for you. So let's get to it and jump into part two of my conversation with Dr. Shelby. Maternal sleep deprivation can be an uphill battle for moms. Moms that suffer from sleep deprivation are more likely to develop postpartum depression, anxiety, and other mental health challenges. Once a mom develops postpartum depression or anxiety, getting adequate sleep is also a vital part of the treatment plan. Unfortunately, sleep disturbances are a part of being a new parent. Babies often wake up through the night, even up to a year. If your baby isn't a unicorn sleeper, it doesn't mean you're failing. When we focus only on mom sleeping when baby sleeps, it creates a lot of stress and frustration leading to more sleep difficulties. I created a sleep plan for mom, ways to protect maternal sleep in the postpartum period to help us take back some control over our sleep. You'll learn to bust common sleep myths and create an individualized sleep plan that works for you so that you can start to get some rest again without relying on how well your baby sleeps. We don't need to wait until we're in the middle of a nighttime sleep crisis to ask for help. Instead, we can plan in advance, work towards a realistic sleep plan, and get creative about how to get restorative sleep. Planning for and prioritizing maternal sleep can set moms up for more success and protect them against and greatly improve maternal mental health challenges. Your sleep matters. Your mental health matters, and you matter. Go to happyasmother.co/sleep to download your free copy today. That's happyasmother.co/sleep. Welcome to the Happy As a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Shelby, welcome back. And thank you. Like The feedback that is going to come in and the impact that we're going to have when we're prioritizing and centering mom's sleep here is just so valuable and important. So thank you for being here with us again. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited to talk. Yeah. And I encourage you, those who are just tuning in, there is a part one here. Dr. Shelby talks a little bit about her own journey to becoming a sleep specialist. So go tune in there. We lay out what insomnia is and how our sleep really gets impacted in the postpartum period. I know I'm singing to the choir. I know you know you're all exhausted (laughs) and sleep deprived. So we're here now to deliver some really concrete, I'd say behavioral strategies. Is that what you would call them? What we refer to as sleep hygiene, I suppose.
1: And I always love to say to people who are like, oh, I'm I'm struggling in the postpartum period. I now have a 12-year-old. And I'm dragging him out of bed in the morning. So it changes drastically <laughs> and it will at some point. So just hang in there. You'll get there.
0: It's so funny. It's so hard to imagine. So I've got currently, as we're talking, I've got a seven-year-old. No, he's about oh. to be seven. I lie. Yeah. In a couple of weeks, he's going to be seven. A five-year-old and a three-year-old. Oh my God. And I'm like, we're still on that six thirty-seven a.m. wake up. But I know for the yeah. seven-year-old, it's going to teeter soon. Like I can feel it. But, you know, then come my revenge days of 8 a.m. <laughs> vacuuming on the weekend for all the lack of sleep I've endured. Exactly. But Exactly. There you go. alive. Yeah, it's funny. It will flip
1: drastically. Like, well, oh, my gosh. Now I have to drag them out. It's a fight there, too. So <laughs> it is what
0: it Different is. Different kind of fight, hey? Yep. Oh, goodness. So in the first part, we really unpacked, like, is this a medical thing? Is this a psychological thing? And when yeah. we find ourselves in patterns of insomnia and we are stuck in them it sounds like this starts to become a behavioral thing
1: mhm yeah and cognitive too it's more the worry yes. like it does it takes over for many people i mean there are some identifiable causes so if someone's still having insomnia it's very related to hormones then it's a discussion to have with your gynecologist but for a lot of people that might not be enough or They're still struggling with anxiety or depression, or they've got it treated and their sleep is still an issue. Then it's really the behavioral stuff and the cognitive, the worry, the thoughts, the not being able to turn your brain off, the pressure you're putting on yourself to sleep. That's really what helps the insomnia maintain a life of its own.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think when I say behavioral, what I'm really meaning to say is it becomes a psychological thing. This is where we start to seek out a therapist for treatment versus a medical doctor for treatment, right? Could be, you know, okay. for
1: traditional CBT for insomnia, which we can get into the meat of. Yeah, it doesn't have to be an actual therapist. Like there are plenty of MDs who are oh, excellent with really? it. Really? Okay, but they have to be well trained. I tend to work a lot more. I think people gravitate to me if they feel there's a bigger anxiety component, a bigger depression component to it, because I can help kind of tailor it a little bit more. But it doesn't always have to be a therapist that's doing it. We tend to work better with the anxiety component. But some people, it's really just their timing of their going to bed and what they're doing in bed is wrong, Mm. that you can just give them a prescription for that and what to change and actually works.
0: I see. So those more complex where it's woven in with other things, maybe like our anxiety or depression. Exactly. Our worries about sleep have become so anxiety-provoking or paralyzing. I have clients who will say, like, I watch the clock and as it ticks to bedtime, my anxiety, I can feel it start to increase because what kind of sleep are we going to have tonight? yeah, I ask everyone, do you dread the night as the night gets closer? Yes, ninety nine percent of them say yes. I hear that so much. And sometimes it's centered around how frequently will baby be up?. Mm-hmm. I feel like baby sleep just sort of is what kicks it off, but then some of these things oh, that yeah. you said really perpetuate. So yeah, so wh- what is the golden standard here in terms of how we treat insomnia? Like what are people looking for in a provider?
1: So if you want to get treatment for your insomnia, the ideal, the gold standard, like you said, for insomnia treatment is something called cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. Okay. And that is the first line treatment recommended by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine by primary care, right, in the U.S. That's a huge, the fact that it should be a behavioral treatment is like massive. So if you go to a physician who just says, here, take these pills, and they don't even entertain the idea of CBT for insomnia, they're not going with what's actually evidence-based in the first recommendation. Mm. So what it is, is it's essentially, like we were talking about, it's cognitive behavior therapy. So the behavior part, it's like a basically multi-component treatment. Mm -hmm. So we have sleep hygiene. But for most people who have chronic insomnia, sleep hygiene, it's good, but it doesn't usually fix the insomnia. Mm. I always talk about it like it's the basis, the ground with which we have to do things. But then we change bedtimes. We change wake times. We actually do a little bit of sleep restriction for some people. We change what people are doing in bed. We have them track their sleep on a diary. It's very much behavioral Mm -hmm. as the name. And then there's the cognitive component for some people. So the cognitive component for more of the people who have the not everyone, but some people who have more of that anxious brain or the worry. We work on their worries about sleep, the pressure they're putting on themselves to sleep at night. Sometimes I do mindfulness meditation with people. I teach them that component, relaxation. So it's many components, but it's a short-term treatment. So for some people, it's two, three sessions, usually up to 12. And I don't see people weekly either. I see them like every other week, every third week. Mm-hmm. It's very effective. About 60 to 70% of people notice improvement in their sleep. That's the same rates As the medications
0: that are out there for sleep. Wild. Like Uh so directly effective. It's
1: not as easy. Definitely not as easy.
0: It's it (laughs) is this whole idea, and this is so much in our field, is right. So much of our Mm -hmm. field is like this, where it's like kind of painful up front to do the work, right? Yeah. But in the long run, it sustains itself and makes our life easier ongoing. It's kind of like, we do the hard work now as a gift to our future self Yeah. versus, you know, taking a medication which might help in the short term. And there is a place for that if we are chronically sleep yep. deprived. I've had moms who are so anxious that they literally cannot turn off the hypervigilance. So like yeah. Your brain cannot shut off. And they'll go three or four days with very little sleep. And it's like, yep. you need to get something. You need some restorative sleep. We can mm-hmm. tackle this behavioral piece after. We're not in crisis anymore, frankly, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but then without doing this work, and you mentioned it in your book, you might stay on the medication, you go off it, and then it pops insomnia again, right?
1: Yep. Where CBT shines over the meds is that it teaches you tools to be able to improve your sleep longer term. I hate to say it, but I never say that you're cured of your insomnia, because like I said earlier, we're human beings. Stress happens. Biology happens. Things happen. It's that you know what to do now to get it sleeping better. It's when people, they stop the meds a lot of times, not all the time, but many times they just don't sleep as well because they're mentally, it was treating something, but they don't have any other tools to help them sleep better. Yeah, And like you were saying, it can be a tiered approach, right? So we always try to start with the behavioral stuff. But it's not for everyone. And then if that's not enough, sometimes we combine behavioral plus lower doses of medication. Mm. And if that's enough, then we use medication. And then there are, we do alternative treatments. There's all these different avenues to try. So, you know, if someone's just on, I don't know, one medication and it's working, but they feel hopeless that they'll never get off of it. It's a conversation that you really should have
0: with a sleep specialist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to paint a little picture of kind of like a mock case study here, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is probably directly pulled from my postpartum (laughs) years. may or may not be. I may or may not know this person, but whatever. So I'm thinking like put baby to sleep, have had disturbed sleep ongoing, but have been touched out all day, mommed all day, want to watch my real housewives, end up staying up until way too late. Mm Mm-hmm. And no. Well, as soon as I lay down, this baby's going to wake up and I'm going to have to feed them again, so I'm watching the clock on my phone in bed. Yeah. You know, and so the cycle continues. Can we sort of break down a sleep hygiene routine or something around some of this cuz this is a fairly common thing I think that yeah. moms like a pattern we find ourselves in, right? You got to think about
1: it from different ways. So first thing is how old's a baby, mm. right? So some people will come to me and say, well, my 10-month-old's constantly waking me up in the middle of the night. Well, maybe it's we need to shift to work on your 10-month-old's sleep mm-hmm. more so than yours if that's an identifiable trigger. But if we're talking very young babies, you're doing all you can and you're just hanging on at the first few months, then it's really like you were saying, that's, that's that mom somnia that can last. I still get sucked into it myself. So it's that I have no time during the day that when I should go to sleep, I don't want to go to sleep Mm. because I want to steal back time for myself. So I've been there with the Real Housewives and other shows at night. I think the best thing to do is to really work on setting timers for yourself, thinking about what your why is. Why do you need sleep? How will it help you be a better parent during the day, help you function during the day, and really try to give yourself a non-negotiable bedtime. And if you start giving up on that and just getting sucked into doing whatever, you have to have a conversation with yourself about why you don't value sleep or why you don't deserve to have good sleep. It's funny. It's like we always think about dimming the lights, avoiding caffeine, doing all these things without screens before bed to kind of wind ourselves down having a good bedtime. We do that for kids. Mm -hmm. But when we become adults, we think, well, I can do whatever I want.
0: I should just be able to sleep. Like I have this skill under my belt or whatever, right? Doesn't work that way. Mm. We have to
1: have the same sort of maybe not drawn out routine that we necessarily do with our kids, but we need to do that for ourselves because that's really the first thing we need to do to be able to decompress. And I love watching TV at night and I do that myself, but to try and really turn some of the screens off 30 minutes at least, 20 minutes, do what you can, ideally an hour, but that's hard for a lot of people. Mm. Give yourself a little buffer to do something whether it's stretching, meditation, deep breathing, journaling to get your brain emptied a little bit so that you can then go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And then, like I was saying, if you still can't sleep, even though you have the timing to be able to do it, then it might be more of an intervention of CBT or something that might be a little bit more. But initially, you always start with the sleep hygiene stuff and really trying to be routine with the bedtime and wake time.
0: Right. Okay, so I'm really seeing the distinction here. So Mom Somnia would have been a couple weekends ago, they released season two of Love is Blind, and I binge watched it Mm -hmm. in a weekend. Stayed up till 1 a.m. every night that weekend. Yeah. And then the effects of the sleep deprivation kicked in. I was more irritable than I would have liked. And I made adjustments to put some boundaries in place. Good. And got my butt back in gear. I also finished the season that helped. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that is more that yeah. mom somnia. I've heard it sort of referred to as... Sleeper Revenge Procrastination? It's all the same thing. Okay. Revenge bed, time procrastination. It's funny.
1: You know, like I wrote about it in my book. Oh, I wrote the book like 2017-ish, 2018-ish. And it was just friends of mine. We were all talking about the term. I have no idea where it originated. And then the New York Times interviewed me last year and I had mentioned it. And then it took off like this new term. Like, no, it's been around for ages. We just have called it different things.
0: yeah. Yeah. I see that and it's so relatable for so many parents yeah. like we, we work all day long or we mom all day long we're touched out, we get mm-hmm. the kids down, we want to have our snack, we want to watch our shows. One of the things I love that you talked about here though was like instead of allowing Netflix or whatever streaming program to decide that you're gonna go into the next one, pause it. yeah give yourself two or three minutes. have a little stretch. Do I want to go to bed right now? I actually feel yeah. really tired. I think I should stop and inevitably it rolls into the next one and I'm Aww. like on a cliffhanger sucked in. And that's how we end up sleep deprived, right?
1: Yeah. Like Netflix, some of them actually have. If you go in, you can change the setting so it doesn't automatically. Yeah. So mine is changed so it doesn't have autoplay. So it just stops at the end of an episode. And then it says, would you like to watch the next one? And I actually have to make that choice before it goes into the next one. So I am making a conscious decision, TV or sleep. That's how I think about it.
0: Okay. Oh, I'm going to do that. I get sucked in, especially when I'm down the rabbit hole in a series. I really do. Okay. So that is something that feels more like it is situational based or we're really pushing for some free time and then we maybe notice it course correct and it doesn't become a persistent issue. Yeah. is what we're saying. Yes. And then we get into this more persistent insomnia and what does like an effective or helpful bedtime or sleep routine look like for an adult?
1: It's so funny, I get asked that all the time. And I think people are really fascinated with like what I do. Okay, spill the tea,
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) It's not really anything fascinating. I think it's a hard balance because you have to find something that's quiet, calm and relaxing for yourself. That's enjoyable, that you're not gonna resent. That you can do in dim light without screens. I try to buffer 45 minutes to an hour, but it's not always possible. And now that I have a 12 year old, he sometimes goes to bed later than I do because I get up early to work out. So I try to buffer that, but not all the time am I able to do 45 to 60 minutes. Sometimes I aim for 20 to 30 minutes. But it's really about trying to turn the screens off as best you can. And it's not about every night. do it as often as you can. Yeah. Right? So turn off the screens. For me, I tend to go upstairs. I wash my face, brush my teeth, put on my pajamas. I do a a stretching routine that I started at the beginning of the pandemic because I was so Mm. tight from running. So I do like a 20-minute stretching routine. And then I get in bed and I read for 15, 20 minutes and then I go to sleep. Sometimes, like I said, it's shorter. Sometimes it's a little longer. But I think it's a fine line because people get also very Mm -hmm, fixated mm -hmm, on bedtime mm -hmm. routines that it's too rigid. That it's if I don't do these things, I won't sleep.
0: Right. Our anxiety becomes like if this isn't done to perfection, this is why I'm not sleeping tonight. And we get very, very rigid about it, right? Exactly.
1: Right. So it's about doing things to have set the signal to your body that bed's coming without lots of bright lights on. And I love there are all these alarm clocks and smart bulbs that you can get that actually naturally dim the lights around you without you Mm. even having to think about it. If you set it on an app, it's doing that stuff, but being flexible enough without thinking that your sleep's going to be thrown out the window.
0: Mm -hmm. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And you talk about reading. Is that something that you do? Like you pull a physical book or what about those who read on like a Kindle or a tablet in the book? I know you mentioned like these blue light glasses as a way to try to limit.
1: Yeah, blue light glasses are okay. The data since I wrote the book has been very mixed on them. Oh, has it? Okay. I am I always love tiered approaches. So if it's a night where you really just want to watch some show and it's the only thing that quiets your brain down, okay, do it with blue light glasses on. It's not going to be perfect, but it's better than nothing. Think about what you're watching. If I have to be up late to work or something, I put a filter. There's something called F.LUX, which is wonderful. And I put that on my computer, which screens out the blue light so that Mm. it's less alerting to you. But the ideal is if you're going to read, go old school, Mm -hmm. get a book, get a magazine. We have libraries for a reason. Try and get that stuff to kind of keep you reading because it's not just about the blue light to me. It's about what the tablet or the phone is related to because it gets very easy to then go from that to social media, to your emails, to Mm. texting people, and then you're up even more.
0: Right. We're not just reading. Then we're hopping around and then Mm -hmm. we're like, when we're supposed to be sort of winding out a task, a new task or something is popping up and it becomes this cascading. Exactly. Right, I can see that. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments. It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot slash momwell. ZocDoc slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or vegan and veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Yeah, you say you do a stretching routine. I'm like thinking about I'm gonna out my routine here for a second. I do pretty good most nights, Mm -hmm. unless I'm binge watching something I'm really into. And it does start with a going upstairs, getting changed, brushing teeth. In the pandemic, my treat to myself was to pick up like a nice like face routine. So I do lots of different, you know, face creams and stuff. And then I lay on an acupressure mat. And this is something I actually do every night. Because I have a lot of like residual tension from the day. My body feels a little wound up. And so I will lay on my mat. I will scroll my phone. But the mat makes me very sleepy. It feels very relaxing to my body.
1: I have spoken to a number of people over the past few weeks who use acupressure mats. It's an integral part of their wind down routine. I need to try one of those.
0: It was a like a game changer for me. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah, as just someone who is very wound up, like runs on full tilt. Mm-hmm. The transition for my body from like go, go, go to bed just was a hard thing. And so you do like a stretching routine and yeah. I don't have the motivation for a stretching routine, but I can lay on an acupressure mat Perfect. and it helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm going to have to try that out.
0: Yeah. I encourage it's you. Really?
1: Like at least four people in the past week and a half have mentioned it to really? me. Really? So
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. Maybe, I don't know if they're all influencers, but mine was done via a collaboration oh. that I uh, that I got. Uh, it was provided to me. Okay. But I actually had one before that as well. And it's been, awesome. it's been a game changer. Do it every day. Prickly at first. You're going to have to get used to it, but really good in the long term. You'll probably use it. Yeah. So I love this idea that we need to have a routine, but it's not a set of rules is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Right?
1: If you find that you're getting more anxious by your routine Mm. and it's creating issues in your relationship, your family, Mm. because someone comes in and does something that disrupts your routine, then that's a conversation to have with with someone or to think about why am I so rigid about it? Am I so worried about my sleep? Because that I think can backfire a lot of times too.
0: Okay. Okay. One of the other pieces you mentioned in your book was about keeping like a sleep log or diary mm-hmm. or journal of sorts. Why might we do that? And what sorts of things are we looking to keep an eye on?
1: So if you're someone who's struggling with sleep, so not early postpartum period. Like if you're yeah. if you're really you have the time to sleep and you just can't, mm. a diary is a great idea because it helps you without, I don't want people like being so beholden to the clock either. So it's kind of guesstimating. Okay, what time am I getting in bed? You look at the clock for that. How long do I think it took me to fall asleep? How much do I think I woke in the middle of the night? What time did I get up in the morning? That's when you look at the clock again. And it helps you to look at any patterns that might be going on. And then also on the other side of the diary, we look at caffeine use, napping, medications, fatigue level, whole bunch of stuff. So you can see if there are any identifiable factors that you can change that then see if it impacts your sleep. So I love a diary and I'm pretty old school because I was just trained many years ago. And now since then, there's all these watches and rings and all this stuff that people oh, use. Right. And I think they're wonderful. But if you have chronic sleep insomnia issues, sometimes it makes it worse.
0: I see that. I see like, oh, I was awake like 10 times last night. My watch told me this, this, and this. And then it becomes like a source of anxiety.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And what I usually say to people is, what do you think happened? Yeah. What do you think? So it's more about what they perceive And how you feel during the day, don't let a watch be the thing that's going to determine how you feel during the day. Right. So if you find that you're using watches and it's making it worse, take out a sleep diary. Just go by what you're feeling, what you think happened. And if you think you're up a lot at night or your sleep is really broken and you feel crummy during the day, see if there's things you can change. And if it still doesn't make a difference, then you want to talk to a sleep specialist.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And also it's a good idea because then when you come to me, you've already got a sleep diary. So we can start even faster with treatment because I've already got a sleep diary filled out.
0: Right. You see some of the, maybe the patterns or it's related to cycle or it's related to these other pieces. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And I have a, I have an example in my book and then there's a lot of like the National Sleep Foundation has a sleep diary. There's so many out there. So mm-hmm. you can easily get one.
0: What are your thoughts on the, I hear this so much, more in regards to baby sleep, but mm-hmm. like we're biologically wired for sleep. Mm-hmm. We will sleep, this whole idea. What is your take on that from your perspective?
1: I think Yes. You will eventually sleep. The rule of thumb, though, is like most people, when they are told that, they're not given like a reins with when they should sleep. So for someone who's had a lot of trouble with sleep and they're struggling, I usually say, well, we're going to keep you on a five hour, six hour window. And I don't want you doing these things and no napping. And usually if you do that, usually after about three days, your body has a natural mechanism to get some sleep, Mm -hmm. maybe not a beautiful eight hours, but it starts to catch up it's when people don't give any guardrails to it and they just kind of will nap here and there or they'll get a few minutes here and there and they don't, we call them microsleep episodes and people sometimes don't even realize it. Mm. That's when it can prolong that not sleeping kind mm-hmm. of issue. Mm-hmm. But usually I think the Guinness Book of World Records was like 12 or 13 days with no sleep. That it was someone who was in a, like a, it was sleep deprivation purposeful. So he was in like a swing dancing competition. But
0: yeah, <laughs> well, we will eventually sleep. And I think that like, that is both reassuring, mm-hmm. but also minimizing depending on how yeah. it's used, right? Like, exactly. oh, you will eventually sleep and I'm like staring at the ceiling and that makes me want to fly into a rage, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, we will eventually figure this out. Like we will sleep, like biologically yeah. we need to sleep. And so right. I think that it all depends on how that gets presented to us.
1: Yeah, I think that's where you want someone who's got a good demeanor, who Mm. knows the world of sleep, who's really seen people who, there's even sleep disorders called paradoxical insomnia, where people feel like they are awake the entire night, multiple nights on end. But when we put them on a sleep study, they're actually asleep we don't have a very good understanding of why it happens, Mm. but sometimes people are actually sleeping. So sometimes having that conversation of your body is doing what it needs to do, but why is your brain not fully turning off? Mm. So you don't want to invalidate the person who perceives that they're up the whole night. And it's really finding someone who can be gentle about it, but also reassuring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. So I'm capping in my mind some of these strategies that we've talked about. For particularly moms who are up in the night and they're nursing, we're talking about controlling our environment we're Mm -hmm. talking about keeping the lights dim trying not to scroll our phone if possible Mm -hmm. maybe even having a partner share some of that load where they bring baby to us this used to happen when I was like really borderline sleep deprived you know my husband would get up he, he would bring the baby to me I would nurse he would take the baby back and do all of these other things exactly so that I could have a little rest so So some things within our control environment, keeping the sound on the monitor low Mm -hmm. or turning the monitor off if baby is totally within earshot. Yeah. Some of those pieces really play into helping us be able to do these wake-ups and then try and settle as efficiently or whatever as possible, right? Completely. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. And then beyond there, we're talking things like sleep time routine and hygiene Mm -hmm. Knowing that we will have our mom somnia or sleep revenge moments, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, This is another piece that I think you also really highlight is that sleep is not a once it's set it, it's not like set it and forget it, right? Mm -hmm. It changes. And I actually, this is sort of top of mind for me because I recently started a new medication that is interfering with my sleep. And uh, I knew that it would, it's a side effect and all these things. So troubleshooting that. and more sensitive to caffeine and I'm having to scale yeah. that back. And there's now I'm having to change things that weren't necessarily having to be changed before. Right. So this is a fluid sort of conversation or routine with ourselves, isn't it?
1: Yeah. And then if those things, like I said earlier, if those things are not enough, always start with sleep hygiene and making sure you're allowing for time to go to sleep and all that stuff and tracking. If that's enough, then we can start doing more Interventions like CBT, which is really changing your bedtime, which those are those just kick the notch up a little bit more. Yeah. So, but always start with like the environment, winding yourself down, being mindful of the medications. But if you're still struggling, there are more treatments out there. A lot of people just kind of throw in the towel and think there's nothing else they can do besides just medication, Mm -hmm. and it's
0: not the case. What are your thoughts on melatonin? Because it would be like a considered a natural remedy, sort of air quotes, but it does impact our sleep.
1: So melatonin is naturally made in our brain, and it comes out about two hours before you're about to go to sleep, which is why we like to have dim lights and no screens and cooler rooms because that's all stuff that helps enhance melatonin production in your brain. And melatonin is what makes you sleepy. Now, people try to take a pill version of melatonin, Mm -hmm. and the research behind it for insomnia is actually very mixed. Hmm. It's not the cure-all that most people think it is. And I do find some people are ben- benefit from it, and that's wonderful, but it's not as effective as most people think it is for most insomnia issues. That being said, also, I think in the U.S., it's not regulated by the FDA, mm-hmm. so okay. you could get one pill that has three milligrams, another one that has five, another one that has one in one bottle. Like, there's no real government agency that's saying, okay, you verified this. If you're going to get it, at least in the U.S., we try to get something that's USP verified. Okay. Some countries, it's pharmaceutical. So we know that there's standards that it has to be met. And then the other thing with melatonin is that people take way too much of it. So one to three milligrams for insomnia is enough. If you're taking five, 10, 15, I see people with 20 milligrams sometimes of melatonin, just because you're like, oh, my doc said to try more. There's absolutely no evidence that that's actually going to work. There's no data behind it. And that's actually way too much melatonin for your body. It can make you feel... Dizzy, nauseous, sleepy when you get up, and cause nightmares for some people. So, just because it's over the counter isn't without side effects. So, use it, use it with caution and try not to take more than three milligrams. Otherwise, you're starting to take a hefty dose, even if you can find 10 milligrams easily on the shelves.
0: So, interesting. Okay. If melatonin is built into our sleep routine every night, Mm -hmm. for example, like for some, I know that it is, or it's been, you know, they share with me that it is, is that problematic in the long term or is it okay if it's working for them
1: we don't really know okay honestly Mm -hmm. we don't really there are some people though say the longer you take melatonin your brain's going to produce less of it it becomes more dependent on the um we call it exogenous the medication that you're taking so we don't really know but i'm always a fan of the less you can take the better but if you need the melatonin it's helping you and your doctor doesn't have any issues with you and it's not causing any side effects then you're fine for now we just don't know the long 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 term effects
0: Yeah. And so ideally, you know, in the short term if we need it, but then we figure out some of these other pieces ideally.
1: Yeah. And I use it for certain sleep disorders. I use it for shift work, jet lag, all different stuff, but we use like half a milligram and we time it totally different. So it's not that we don't use it at all. We just use it a little bit differently in the sleep field.
0: Interesting. Okay. That's so helpful. I have one final question for you before we wrap up here. And I hear this talked about in terms of sleep hygiene all the time, but like Let's unpack our bed for just one second. What should Mm -hmm. our bed be used for? (laughs) Sleep and sex. Yes, right? Because I think about my dorm day years where my bed was my couch. It was where I ate. It was where I studied. It was all of those things. Yeah. Right?
1: I always say, how can you expect yourself to sleep in your bed if you live in your bed? Mm -hmm. So when you're eating, watching TV, doing everything else, they're laying there awake. How's your body going to know that that's the only place for sleep? It's all conditioning. That's it. Yeah. And if you can't sleep, give yourself about 30 minutes. See if you fall asleep. If you don't, get up, go sit somewhere else. Yeah. Do something else until you're sleepy. Otherwise, you're going to keep conditioning yourself to be awake in bed more and more. It sounds so simplistic, but it has the most research behind it from the early 70s going back that far. Just people don't want to do it.
0: Crazy, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you can't sleep, get out of bed, don't like, you know do your hobbies and better, whatever, like unless it's part of your wind down routine. Exactly. Simple things, but when done all together can make all the difference. So thank you for spending your time with us. I feel like I still have a slew of questions. Anytime. And if you as listeners are having follow-up questions, we'll gather them all and we'll bring Dr. Shelby back if this is really a big topic that is of interest to you because we need to support mamas in getting more sleep and center mm-hmm. mamas a little bit in this conversation because I know kids sleep is so centered. And yeah. so I really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Well,
1: thank you for having me. And thank you for having this discussion. It's a really important one.
0: Yeah. I encourage everybody to go get your book, The Women's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. It can be found wherever you know books are sold. Mm-hmm. We're going to link it in the show notes. And people can find you where online? Where can they find you?
1: You can go to my website, dr for shelbyharris.com or even more, you can get me on Instagram at sleepdocshelby. So I get DMs there. I post there routinely. And I
0: love um, putting on evidence-based insomnia and just sleep information. And that is all linked in the show notes for you all. So thank you again. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. Same here. I appreciate it. Wasn't that conversation with Dr. Shelby so helpful and empowering? Now, I don't think I'm gonna drop my every so often weekend binge of the house vibes that causes me to enter the week sleep deprived, but I have learned some crucial takeaways on tweaks I can make to my sleep hygiene routine to make sure that when I'm prioritizing rest, I can actually get it and it feels restorative for me. If sleep is something that you struggle with, I encourage you to book a free 15-minute consult with a therapist in our wellness center. Our therapists are trained in the CBT skills that Dr. Shelby spoke about, and sleep hygiene is a frequent part of our conversations with the moms and parents that we work with. Our wellness clinic is open to Canadians across the nation. You can head to happyasmotherco slash book to book your free 15-minute consult. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Make sure to come on back and join me next week where pediatric occupational therapist Laura Pettix is joining the show. Laura will be helping us to understand and distinguish the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown and how to handle these really tough and challenging parenting moments. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.